Lord Jesus, would you just be here and just prepare our hearts to hear your word. We receive what you have to give to each one of us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm sure you have all experienced the fact that people are a study in contrasts. I mean, some of the greatest things come from human beings, right? Some of the most incredible uh, pieces of art and acts of science, scientific discoveries, medical breakthroughs that, that improve everybody's quality of life. I mean, so many incredible things. So many acts of courage that people perform in the face of danger. People that run into burning buildings to rescue people. People that go off to war to save innocent lives. These, so many acts of courage and bravery. There's so many acts of kindness and goodness. People that give their lives to serve others, to help others. I think of people like Mother Teresa who just served people who were dying and she did it anyway. So many incredible acts of goodness. And yet at the same time, so many terrible things come out of human beings. Is that right? Acts of evil, torture, genocide, racism, hatred, oppression. I mean, the worst of the worst can come from a human being. The way humans can treat one another is truly appalling. And then there's everything in between, right? There are, you know, the nicest people you know can have kind of a mean streak once in a while. And even the most messed up person you know can surprise you with an act of kindness or goodness, right? If we're honest, we're like that. We're, we've got it all right here, right here within us. And it's true. And, you know, James puts it this way in James 3. He says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and curses. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. And yet it is, right? It's right here even in us. And so we're in the middle of a series uh, called Who? And today we're talking about who are we? Who are we? Who are we, human beings? And this is sometimes a bit of a hard question, especially uh, for people in the world. That Some people would say, we're just stuff. Flesh and blood and bones and neurons firing and cells that reproduce. That's all we are. When we die, we just disintegrate and go into the earth. That's it. That's all we are. That's what some people would say. Some people would say we're more than that, but we're really basically good. You know, we're just good. We're, and, and just it's the environment and people around us and, and traumas that cause us to do bad things. And then there's others that would say, nope, mm -mm, we're just pretty much all bad and we need a lot of help to be good. Right? I think we're confused about this because we don't know what the scripture says. We don't know what the scripture says about who we are. And the scriptures do say that we are a contrast because we are both a beautiful creation of God made in his image. And we are also sinners in desperate need of grace. We're both. We're both. And understanding that gives us strength to be the image of God that we are created to be. So that's what we're going to talk about today, who we are, that we're both. And we're going to start with the good one. Let's start with being made in the image of God. That's the fun one. That's the good one. So let's start. Genesis 1.26 says it like this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that we may they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So right there at the beginning of the Bible, we have this incredible fact that we are made in the image of God, in his image, in his likeness. Basically the same meaning, scholars will call this imago Dei, 
It's Latin for image of God. We are made in the image of God. We are Imago Dei. And God emphasized this very much in just these two little verses. And we, we know he emphasized it by the way these scriptures are written. So verse 26, he says, he repeats himself. He says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. He says it kind of two ways. Whenever in scripture you see something twice, you take notice. When Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, pay attention. Because it's, it's for emphasis. And so God is saying, I want you to get this. I'm, you're made in my image, in my likeness. But then, verse 27, he goes even further. So this idea that we are made as image is emphasized even by the literary structure of this verse. Now, bear with me. We're going to geek out for a second on literary analysis, okay? Are you all ready? You ready? We're going to do this. We're going to go and see this is how this verse is made. It's very close to what Bible scholars, literary scholars, would call a chiasm. A chiasm is a phrase that's written and then, uh, and then the same, it's repeated, but in reverse, like in mirror image. I know you know what this is. You've, one of, uh, most of you probably know this particular chiasm. God is good all the time, and all the time, right? That's a chiasm, because it's a repeat of the same phrase, just in reverse. Got it? And so this verse 27 is actually very close to a complete chiasm. If you look at it, the Hebrew, in the Hebrew, the word for created comes before God. So what you have up here is a literal kind of English translation of this verse. And look at the chiasm there. So created God, man, in his image, in the image of God, he created him. Now, why is this important? Well, whenever there's a chiasm in, in literature, especially in the scripture, whatever's at the center, at the peak, is what's most important. That's the emphasis. What's at the peak here? What's the emphasis? In his image. In his image. He didn't have to say it this way. He could have just said God created man in his image. Period. But instead, even, even under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the biblical writers wrote it this way so that we would be emphasized, we would see the emphasis that we're made in his image. This is remarkable. This is remarkable. Now, I know for us, maybe it doesn't seem quite so remarkable. We're used to it. Oh, yeah, sure, we're made in God's image. But remember what I said a few weeks ago, that in pagan times, back in ancient times, when you would read stories about the creation, they would talk about the gods creating man, and man was never made in the image of the gods. He was made to be the slave of the gods. And there was no love of the god toward the person. The person didn't expect the god to love them. They, wanted, they knew they just had to do what they had to do so that the god would bless them. That's what ancient pagan creation stories were. Can you imagine how incredible this was for them to hear? That God decided to put something of himself in us. His likeness, his image, that he gave that to us. Not only that, but that he loves us that he wants to be in relationship with us, that he has a plan for us, he gave us autonomy over his world. This is remarkable. In his image, in his image you're made. The other interesting thing about this is the Hebrew word image. I'm going to geek out for just one more minute on Hebrew. So the Hebrew word for image is salem, which is actually the same word that's used many other places in the Bible for idols. So a graven image, when they would make an image of an idol and worship that idol. That's the same word. But think about it. Think about what an idol is. An idol to a pagan person that would worship an idol was a, a, a representation of the god in wood or stone. They knew it wasn't the actual god. They knew it was just wood and stone, but it was more than wood and stone. It was sacred and valuable 
a pagan person would run into a burning house to rescue that idol. Can you see how incredible that is, that God has made us his image, that we are more than just flesh and bones and blood and cells, but that we are a sacred representation of God, a temple in which he dwells. How precious are you because you are made in the image of God. How precious. Hallelujah. So this is a high and holy calling we have. And this should matter in our life. It should play out in our life in various ways. And here's how it should play out. What impact does this idea of Imago Dei have on us today? The first is that you need to remember, and I need to remember, that we are precious and wonderfully made. Would you remember that this morning? You're precious and wonderfully made. So, so valuable. Just like the pagan person running in to save their idols, so you are worth saving. You're worth rescuing. In fact, God knew this because what did he do? He sent his own son to die for us. Jesus ran into the burning building for us. He sure did. So this morning, if you grew up on a diet of discouraging words, if you had parents or aunts and uncles or grandparents or siblings who told you you're not pretty enough, you're not smart enough, you're never going to amount to anything, you're just going to be a loser, if you had that kind of steady diet of words fed to you, or maybe in your own mind you have a voice that tells you you're always screwing up, what a screw up you are, I can't believe you said that again, you're never going to amount to anything, you can never get it right, I want you to remember this morning that you are precious and made in the image of God. You are made in the image of God. God doesn't make no junk, as they say. And he has made you incredible. Our, the world and our families and even our own brains try to tell us differently. But Psalm 139 says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Nothing about that will ever change. No amount of sin on your part or mess-ups or screw-ups or whatever, none of that will change the fact that you are made in the image of God and precious to him, and valuable. And so all of your abilities, all of your talents, all of your intelligence, all of your artistic uh, prowess, all that you can do, all that you have is a reflection of the image of God in you. It's bits of God in us that allow us to have inspiration and creativity and intelligence. And so use it. Never let it be squashed down, but use it for his glory. Use it for his kingdom. He gave it to you. You're in his image. Never forget that. Yeah. Amen? Amen. Yeah. The other thing we need to remember from the image of God, the Imago Dei, is that not only are you precious and wonderfully made, but so is everybody around you. Everybody around you, everyone you meet, is precious and wonderfully made. Every single one. Even the really irritating ones. Right? There's some people who are really irritating. I feel like maybe someone here needs to hear the fact that that person that is driving you crazy day after day is made in the image of God. Maybe we just need to remember that sometimes. About those people that are harder to love, people maybe who are dirty or smelly or unlike us, who are loud and arrogant, who are completely different from us, who don't get us, we don't get them. People who voted differently in the election than you are precious and wonderfully made. People who are different from you, from other cultures and other places, other religions. Every person, Christian, non-Christian, Buddhist, Hindu, Jewish, Muslim, non-Christian, atheist, whatever. 
Every single one, precious, 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 made in the image of God. Every single one. So I think that means a couple of things. It first means that we should be protectors of life. As believers, as Christians who believe that we're made in the image and that everyone is, we should be protectors of life. It's an interesting passage in Genesis 9-6. I don't think I have it on the slide, but it says, Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed for, why? Because in the image of God, God has made mankind. The shedding of human blood is always an abomination to God. Always because it's the destruction of that image. So whether it is murder or euthanasia or abortion or anything else, it is an abomination before God. So we want to be protectors of that. We want to be protectors. We should always care about life. It should matter. We should care about it because God cares about it. And at the same time, we should also care for the hurting and the oppressed and those who struggle in ways that maybe we don't struggle because they are made in the image of God. People who struggle because of the color of their skin, because of lack of education or access, because of hardships and trials that have come upon them, because they were born in a place where there's no water or food, all that are suffering are made in the image of God, and we should care about that. God cares about that. In Scripture, over and over again, and I'm going to say this a lot, so you're going to, you're going to know this by heart by, by the time you have been around me for a while. God care, singles out five people groups, the poor, the oppressed, the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner. He singles them out over and over again. These are people we're to care for. Not that we care, don't care for people who are rich or who are not oppressed, but these are the people that need a special care, special love. They struggle. We need to care too. Breaks the heart of God when people suffer under injustice and oppression, and it break, should break our heart too because they're made in the image of God. Amen? Amen. Do you see how rich this concept of Imago Dei is? how it covers everything. It's actually how it even transcends political lines and social lines. It's bigger than all of that It's because each person is made in the image of God. The last thing I pull out of this, this passage of, um, from Genesis about the image of God is this idea that we can embrace the equality of male and female. It's interesting that he says here, the last thing we see from this concept is that we are made in his image, male and female. So there's a couple of profound things from this little phrase. First of all, what it says to us is that God has male and female qualities. He doesn't have gender the way we do. Now listen, we call him father, and I think that's appropriate. In our language, when you say mankind, it means men and women. So I, I do believe it's appropriate to call him father. But we must never forget that he also has mother aspects to him. And it's all throughout Scripture. I'll just give you one, Isaiah 66. As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. That's God speaking. It's not the only place. There's many places like that. So God has made us in his image, both male and female. He has both of those qualities. And what I also am struck with here is the equality of man and woman in this passage. There is no sense of hierarchy here. There's no statement about roles, different roles for male and female. It's just they're made to rule over the world that God had created. All of that patriarchy and, and man ruling over women came later in the fall. And so let me ask you something. As kingdom people, do we live according to the fall or do we live according to the intent of creation? <laughs> we live according to the intent of creation. And what God has created, that's his kingdom intent. And so I just want to tell you 
that when you embraced me, when you embrace women as full partners in, in ministry of the kingdom, that you are acting in accordance with the image of God, that God has created, that it's, it's special to God. We're representing his intent when he created us. And so I just personally thank you for that. And I'm so blessed by that. Amen. So isn't this an incredible concept, Imago Dei? Say, to, say this morning, I'm made in the image of God. I'm made in the image of God. In the image of God, I am made. A little chiasm there. What a beautiful creation you are. What a beautiful creation, how God has made us so precious, so unique, to bear his image, to be his image bearers in the world, to love others, because they're his images too. So amen. That, that is awesome. And, and now, you know, we move to the next piece. This is kind of like the part in the movie where, you know how the movie's going along nice and everything's good, and then suddenly the music kind of changes? And there's like a low note that starts, and then there's like a minor key, and you know, oh no, the bad stuff's coming. That's kind of what's happening right now. Because we have to go to the second part of who we are. Because while we're made in the image of God, we are also sinners in need of grace. We go back to these early days of Genesis. Adam and Eve had a choice. They were made as image bearers. They had a choice to walk with God, to fulfill that image bearing, and instead they decided to do the one thing God told them not to do, was to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in doing that, they impacted the whole world. This is the upside and the downside of being made in the image of God. We're given free will. We have choice. God didn't create us to be robots just to follow him. No, he said, I'm going to give you a choice. I want you to be an image. I made you an image bearer, but you have to choose to do it, to walk in it, and to listen to what I say. And, um, you know, they didn't. And so we now, as, as their generations, generations pass, we have inherited that sin nature. We have taken on what they did for us. And it's very clear in the scripture about this. Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all sinned. So we inherit that sin nature. We call it a sin nature. We call it original sin. It's that we tend toward sin. We tend toward pushing away from God. We tend toward going our own way. That sin nature is always going to be there fighting, fighting the image of God in us. Now, I assume a few of you out there might be saying to yourself, I don't know about this sin thing. I mean, I think we're all basically pretty good. And it's just, you know, the world and the environment that, you know, finally makes us bad. If that's what you think this morning, I invite you to go ahead and borrow a two-year-old from a friend. <laughs> just say, hey, I want to take your two-year-old for a couple days. Trust me, they will thank you. And, uh, or maybe you have a two-year-old of your own and you can just test this out yourself. Because I honestly think there's no greater, I, I'm only just a little bit being facetious here, I think there's no greater argument for human nature and a sin nature than to look at a two-year-old. Because two-year-olds are so sweet and so innocent, right? They're just little babies. How could they possibly have anything evil already happen to them? And yet, yet, they can look at you with those big cute eyes and their big chubby cheeks and they can take the orange juice and they can just spill it right on the head of their, their brother, right? After you told them just not to do it. Or they can go up to a ba the baby, the baby brother, right, who's got the rattle, and, and they don't want the rattle. They don't play with rattles. They're much older, too old for a rattle. But just because the baby's got it, they want it. And they grab it away, and the baby starts to cry. That sin nature is just in us. 
It's just part of who we are. And you could say, well, you know, developmentally, that's appropriate for two-year-olds to be pushing back against authority, which only proves my point. <laughs> that we're built in with this idea of pushing away from even good, loving authority. That we want our own way, even if it, it's not good for someone else. Oh, we need, we need help. The problem is we really want to be little gods, don't we? We want to be in charge of our life. We don't want people to tell us what to do. We're, we're Americans, after all. <laughs> and um, we want to have our own way. And that's really what, what Adam and Eve did. They pushed for their own way. They wanted to be like God, and they, they weren't. That's the problem. They're not God. And I have news for you this morning. I'm sorry to tell you, but you're not God either. <laughs> and, and neither am I as much as we might wish we were sometimes. It's wisdom to acknowledge that we're not God, and that there is one God in heaven who is over all things, sovereign, wise, holy. This is why we talked about who is God before we talked about who are we. Because if we start with who are we, well, then we just want to be gods. But if we start with who is God, that he is holy and great, sovereign over all, the creator of all things, and both justice, full of justice and loving and full of mercy, huh? then we see what a, what a privilege it is to walk then as an image bearer of that God. We're going to hold our head up high. We represent him in the world. And how much knowing that, knowing who God is and who we are, makes us then want to do anything we can to push back that sin nature that keeps us from fulfilling that calling. Amen? We just, we don't want any more of it, God. I don't want any more of that sin. I don't want any more of that sin nature. Help me, Lord. The Bible talks a lot about the sin nature. Just a few passages here in case we need further Further convincing, 1 John 1, 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Ecclesiastes seven twenty. indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. That's certainly true. Isaiah 59, 2, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? There's a war within us, that image of God, that beautiful image of God within us, and the Spirit of God who comes to us is at war with what is within us, that sin nature, that desire and that, that proclivity to sin, to doing what is not good. And that struggle is real. The Apostle Paul talks about it, and I always find this interesting in Romans 7. This is Apostle Paul we're talking about. He's like the, the really good guy, like, right? I mean, he's really got it together. He wrote a lot of our Bible, of our New Testament. And yet, here's how he talks about the sin nature. And this is a little bit of a longer passage, but I kind of want you to hear it. And hear if you hear your own experience in this passage, Romans 7, 14 and 24. It says this, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. 
Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man am I! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Does anybody relate with that struggle? (laughs) And we relate with that struggle before we come to Christ, certainly. But even after, we, we, we don't get this taken care of all at once. The sin nature is still there. And we, it wars, it wars. And we have more, more strength now. We have the Holy Spirit to help us. We're not bound to sin, but that struggle is still there. Fortunately, Paul answers his own question. If you know that passage, you knew it was coming. You were, you were mad that I stopped. Well, here you go. <laughs> Romans 7, he says, Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? That's the solution. See, Jesus restores us to that image that we were made to be. He restores us to that. He delivers us from the struggle. Jesus' death on the cross broke through the power of sin so that we could now say, I'm not going to walk in that way anymore. I want to walk as a person in the image of God. Why? How did this work? Because Jesus was the only human not to be tainted by human, by, by original sin, by the sin nature. He was God. And so he was perfect. And so because of that, his sin, he could take our sin upon himself when he died on the cross. And so we could be forgiven. We could start to live in a new way. We can live as a new creation. And when we're living as a new creation, we begin to live in the creation intent that God had, that kingdom intent that we live as his image, reflecting his image out in the world. Second Corinthians 5.21 says this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want to give you one more beautiful, beautiful passage. Listen to these beautiful life-giving words from Romans 5. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. I think we even read this in worship this morning, so God must want you to hear this. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved through his life? This is the gospel. This is the good news. You can be recreated. You can become a new creation, born again into a new life with Christ. That sin nature stomped down crushed back, still fighting with us, still there at war, but we have now the Holy Spirit, the power of God to fight back. And so we need to remember that it's available to each one of us to live in the image of God that God created us to be. While we are sinners, we can be saved by grace and we can begin to walk with him. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. We're new creations. So knowing all of this, knowing that we are made in the image of God, but we are also sinners in need of grace, we need the grace of God, we need to come to him to live in this way, brings us both humility and confidence. And I think this is how for us to walk forward today, both in humility and confidence. So humility first is this, the struggle between the spirit and the flesh will always be there. We're never going to fully attain it on this life, 
Hopefully we get a little better over time, but um, we will always have that struggle. And this is why we need each other. Okay, this is the body of Christ is here because we don't, we don't have it all together. We can't do this all by ourselves. James talks about confess your sins to one another and you'll be healed. We need to be honest about our sins, that we struggle. Please let this not be a place where you feel you have to come and have your happy Christian face on and say, I'm good, when you're not good. Please let this be a place where we can be real with each other, where we can share our struggles, where we can share our sins and our weaknesses, where we can come up and get prayer and be set free. That's how we're set free. We begin to help one another to seek Jesus in those, in those situations. So, so we can come as you are. You can come as you are every day. We don't have to have it all together. But we can also live not only in that humility that we need God, we need each other, but also in confidence because you are, you are made in the image of God. You are his child. You bear his image out in the world. You're greatly loved, greatly gifted, greatly valuable to God. I love this quote from Tim Keller. He's a pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church up in New York City, a great author and speaker. And he gives us this quote. He says this many, many times. I've heard it in many different ways, but this is the essence of what he says. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dare hope. Amen? Amen? Isn't that beautiful? The beginning and end of our story is Imago Day. You've taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, being renewed in the knowledge and the image of his creator. We were made in the image of God. Sin tarnished that image. But when we come to Christ, he gives us, we're a new creation. He recreates us. In a sense, he replaces us in the Garden of Eden, and we get to walk with him. We get to walk with him in his righteousness and his strength. So I ask you this morning, would you like to be an image bearer of God? Would you like to bear his image, show forth his image when you go out into the world? Would you like to be restored to the original intent that God had for us as he created his world, as he created people, as he brings his kingdom? All we need to do is come to him and ask. It's by grace you're saved, by faith. We just put our faith in Jesus, and he begins to do a new work in us. Apostle Paul puts it this way. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's all it takes. And so this morning, if you're a person that has, has never made that commitment to Christ, has never put your faith and your trust in him, I would say to you, this is a great morning to do it. We're about to take communion together. This is a great moment to say, I want to live as the image of God. And I also want help for this sin nature that is fighting within me. But I don't believe it's only for people that have never given their heart to Jesus. I believe it's true for all of us this morning as well, that, that have known Christ perhaps for many years, that we need to keep coming to him. That's why we take communion over and over again. We don't just take it once. Because we want to be reminded again that we believe in Jesus that he died for my sins, and that I want to walk with him. Lord, forgive me of my sins, and let me walk with you so that I might be a pure image bearer of the king. That when people see me, they don't see me, but they see Jesus in me. 
when they see my talents or my abilities, they don't see me, my talents and abilities. They see the image of God reflected out through me, through my hands as I draw or I paint or I make a discovery or I write or I help people. But they would see that it is Jesus within me, that it is the Spirit of God within me. I want to walk like that. That's how I want to be. I want to walk like the image of God. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. It's available for every one of us today, this morning.